0: Dear friends in Christ, who really shot JFK? Were the moon landings real or were they staged? Did Elvis really die in 1977 or did he just fake his death so that he could get some privacy? Was Paul McCartney allegedly replaced by a lookalike when he allegedly died in 1966? Are all these questions crazy? Well, it depends on how you view things in life. For example, some historians speculate that our founding fathers were moved to write the Declaration of Independence because they believed that Britain was about to enslave the American colonists. We know that the idea has been that there's some shadowy cabal, for example, or secret plotters, those who are pulling strings behind the scenes in the history of our times, And that's been a constant theme for theorists who believe that things are not really as they appear. For example, black helicopter militias, the Illuminati, or perhaps even Pan Am Flight 103. For those types of things, many people are willing to believe that there's something rotten in the state of Denmark, or in Des Moines, or Dallas, or wherever. And all you have to do nowadays is search online for coronavirus, and conspiracies. And you'll find a flood of theories about its origin, treatments, vaccines, and other areas. These things can possibly mislead the public and perhaps even possibly cause them to make harmful decisions and actions. The 21st century has seen a rise in conspiracy thinking with the Internet being an unfiltered type of clearinghouse for theorists. Individuals and groups known as truthers, they are continually looking for new information to explain what really happened. Their conspiracy theories usually focus around times of historical interest, or perhaps the death of famous people. When a famous or an infamous person dies, the thinking goes that, well, there has to be a reason behind the reason. We've already mentioned some examples, but sometimes there's a bit more to the story that takes us out of the realm of wild speculation and into the potential of eyebrow-raising intrigue. Conspiracy theorists, they have a reputation for being a little nuts, but we know that the truth is that we always need people who are looking for truth. When it comes to the most famous death of all in history, the death of Jesus Christ, conspiracy theories abound but in the center of that account there is a person who is seeking the truth and this figure is no outsider but it's Jesus own disciple thomas the death and resurrection of jesus have long been a targets of conspiracy theorists who are trying to explain it away the general rationale they say is in these theories that the disciples they really were working together to claim that Jesus was alive when he really wasn't, that he died and the disciples, quote, helped Jesus become alive again through their conversations about him. Why would they do this, however? That seems to be a more elusive question. After all, except for John, who was exiled to a remote island, why would these disciples lose their lives proclaiming a Christ if he really didn't exist? Some theorists speculate that Jesus didn't die, but he just swooned on the cross, meaning that he had lost consciousness. They think that he eventually staggered out of the tomb. Well, there's problems with that theory because primarily we know that the Romans, they were pretty good at their standard application of death by crucifixion. And John indicates, too, that Jesus had a spear that went into his side the blood and the water that came out of Jesus' lungs. That indicated that his life ended by suffocation from the fluid buildup in his lungs. And also, the tomb was sealed, and it was guarded by Roman soldiers during those three days. Others suggest that the disciples took the body of Jesus and they hid it, claiming that he was alive. This was a genuine concern for the chief priests, Because in Matthew 28, it indicates that the chief priest had paid the Roman soldiers to promote this particular story among the people. Some speculate that the disciples had a mass hallucination after the death of Jesus as a result of their grief, or that they had actually seen a ghost. Despite 2,000 years of conspiracy theories, however, disproving the resurrection has proven elusive. It seems as though the Gospels themselves embed an answer in the Bible, and in particularly clearly here in John's text in chapter 20. After the account of Jesus' death, the disciples are hiding behind locked doors because they're fearing the religious leaders. They just heard Mary Magdalene that morning say, I have seen the Lord. But they likely dismissed that as fake news. After all, women were not considered to be reliable witnesses in a court of law in the first century, and so they could have chalked up her claim as just hysteria. But then Jesus suddenly appears among them behind locked doors, and he says to them, Peace be with you. That promise of peace and the giving of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had also promised on that night before his crucifixion, well, that could only be realized now after the resurrection. And then he shows them the evidence of the wounds in his hands and side. It's a strange combination. Jesus is risen in a physical body and yet can appear through locked doors. It's clearly a different kind of body, but a body nonetheless. And the disciples rejoice after they saw the evidence. Mary's story had been vindicated. Thomas, however, he wasn't present with those disciples on that first evening. And when the others tell him that we have seen the Lord, the same words that were used by Mary Magdalene, Thomas is definitely skeptical. He's not taking in their wild speculation for gospel truth just yet. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. After all, the other ten disciples, they had the benefit of seeing those nail marks. Why shouldn't he? Thomas may have thought that his friends were engaging in a collective conspiracy theory, and he was going to bust it. Well, we know that Thomas is a thinker, he's a questioner. Earlier in John 14, He pressed Jesus on his statement about where the Lord was going. It wasn't that Thomas was afraid. After all, in chapter 11, Thomas says that he would go with Jesus to a dangerous place, even if it meant to his own death. It's just that he wasn't going to buy into any type of fake news. He wasn't going to sell his life cheaply on some false information or wild speculation. We often call Thomas a doubter, but the truth is that we all need a Thomas in our community, one who is continually looking for truth. He simply wants the truth. That's Thomas. He's not a doubter. And that's something that all of us should be seeking it's the truth. Thomas doesn't reject the idea of resurrection outright. He simply wants more evidence, the same evidence that the other disciples had received, apparently. Thomas wanted to experience the risen Christ for himself. And then suddenly he has the opportunity. The same pattern happens. There's locked doors, the appearance of Jesus. Jesus knows that Thomas has expressed some skepticism, and he offers the evidence for what Thomas was looking for. And without having any prior conversation with Thomas, Jesus says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and touch my side. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. As we look at those words, it's important to note that Jesus never refers to Thomas as a doubter. First, keep in mind that the other disciples, they had the benefit of evidence with their own eyes. And that was evidence that was not available to Thomas that first Easter evening. Second, Thomas's doubt, it wasn't about the resurrection of Jesus. It was about the reports of the resurrection. When he saw Jesus, he had no doubt that Jesus was alive. He was very skeptical earlier, though, about what he had heard about that resurrection. And third, although Jesus says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe, he's not saying that Thomas has a problem with belief. He's really saying, Thomas, it's me, in the flesh. Stop doubting. Believe. It's okay. And finally, what Jesus says to Thomas in verse 29 It equally applies to all the disciples, not just Thomas. He said, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. All of the disciples believed that Jesus was alive. They did that only because they saw Jesus in the flesh. They did not believe the reports of the resurrection either. And so you you have to ask, how are the other disciples different from Thomas? Thomas didn't believe the report of the disciples, and the disciples didn't believe the report of the women. They were all doubters, and their doubt only stopped when they saw the risen Jesus with their own eyes. Thomas responds to Jesus, my Lord and my God. That's a confession of faith. It's a confession in which John also doesn't tell us that Thomas takes Jesus up on his offer to touch his wounds. Seeing Jesus there, being present with him, that was finally enough for Thomas. And what John powerfully implies is that Jesus should be enough for us too. He told those disciples, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who do not see, the ones who have not seen and yet have believed John is speaking to his audience and to future generations like us about the truth of the gospel. He's giving to us that evidence and asking us to believe it. But not just on the basis of the evidence itself. He's asking us to believe it as a result of that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who has given to us, who continues to be a witness to the resurrection and of Jesus' presence in our lives. It's not that the evidence is unimportant, or that it's just a leap of faith. It's quite the contrary. The evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is quite compelling from a historical perspective. If you were going to make up a story in the first century world, you wouldn't use a woman as your primary witness. And also, you wouldn't proclaim that a body had risen from the dead in the Greco-Roman world, a world that devalued the body. The pagans had already believed in the immortality of the soul. That was a theory that they could easily buy into. But to claim that a dead body had become alive again? Well, they would say, no way. And the Jews would say that anyone who was crucified was cursed. And that resurrection was a distant hope. The message would have been virtually unimaginable, ludicrous, and historically not supported in the first century world. And yet there were a large body of people who believed that the impossible had become possible. And despite all efforts to keep them quiet, they would not keep quiet about it. We have the eyewitness testimony of the Gospels the evidence of the early church's growth also, despite all the factors lined up against it. And we have the witness of so many Christians and even the martyrs who died because of that faith. They would all testify to the resurrection of Christ from the dead. If it's a conspiracy theory, then it's one that has actually stood the test of time and the scrutiny of generations of debunkers. John wrote his gospel not only to give us the proof for Christ, but also to bring us to faith in Christ. He puts it this way in his text, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Ultimately, our belief in the resurrection of Jesus is a matter of faith, backed by evidence when we believe we begin to see all that god has done all that god has made possible through the resurrection of christ from the dead and when we live out that faith it's then that we become living examples proving that the gospel is more than a theory it's a way of life and it's a way to life after all christ is risen he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. We pray. Lord, you are the author of resurrection surprises. Open our hearts this day to the presence of Jesus in our lives and erase our excuses for doubt and not always firmly believing in your word. And Lord, exchange them for a strong witness to the power of your love and mercy. Give us courage and challenge us to walk the path of discipleship knowing that Jesus goes before us, leading and guiding our steps. During these days of struggle and change in our routines, we thank you that you never change, and you will always be faithful in all that you say and do. May we always see the resurrected Christ through our eyes of faith, for he is our Lord and our God. In his name we pray. Amen.